Our Dharma practice is a path of opening. It's an opening to our bodies, where we go from an initial perception of the body as something solid to the awareness of particular sensations arising and passing away, to experiencing at some point the body really as a fluid energy system with no solidity at all. Dharma practice is an opening of our sense doors. People who have been practicing for some time, it's a common experience of there being a refinement of our sense perceptions. We uncover in our practice a depth and a range of emotions both pleasant ones and unpleasant ones. Feelings of love and gratitude or sadness or anger or despair or joy. And just as we sit and walk and go through the day, it's as if our hearts and minds open to a fuller range of these feelings. There's an opening of our minds and hearts through a release of all kinds of memories you know, and images that come to mind. Things that arise, things arise that we might not have even thought of in years. In fact, didn't, we didn't even know that we remembered them. <clears throat> so our practice is not a reaching out for these experiences, but rather a settling back and an opening to them as they arise. And in that settling back and opening, we see more and more clearly their empty, insubstantial nature. The phrase which most captures this, something Manindraji would say very often, our whole experience is simply empty phenomena rolling on that is phenomena empty of self, empty phenomena rolling on. But there's one experience that's quite deeply conditioned, deeply habituated, (coughs) the tendency of mind, and one that we often identify with, that tends to freeze this flow of experience, this flow of change, it's like a deer suddenly freezing in the glare of a headlight. And this is the deeply conditioned pattern in the mind of fear. So tonight I'd like to talk about fear, both how it's conditioned in our lives, what gives rise to it, and also how we can work with it and transform this feeling into a space of freedom. As we journey on our path, we come to the edges or boundaries of what we're comfortable with, of what we're willing to be with, of what we're willing to accept. And it's precisely at these boundaries or these edges, we could call it our comfort range of experience, it's just at the boundaries of this range that different fears begin to show themselves. 
So it might be fear of pain. Might be fear of different emotional or psychological states. Might be fear of change, fear of the unknown. The deeply conditioned fear of death. The problem is that all of these experiences, whether it's discomfort in the body or painful emotions or change or death, all of these are part of our life's experience. They're part of what is true in the moment. And so understanding and working with our fear of them really becomes an essential part of our path of opening because all of these things are part of what is true. So first we need to look at and see perhaps a little more clearly what exactly is it that we're afraid of? What is it that limits us? And to begin to explore the possibilities of going beyond those limits. Sometimes when I try to imagine the mind of a Buddha, which is of course impossible to do, but in my projection of it, I just think of a mind without boundaries. You know, we all have certain limits. We're, we're okay with this much, and then okay with a little bit more, and a little bit more. And then I imagine the mind of a Buddha, a mind without boundaries, without limits, and therefore without fear. Whatever arises in that mind is okay. So we want to look at the specific things we might be afraid of, and then also to look at the nature of fear itself. What is this particular mind state? What is this particular emotion? And how can we relate to it very directly? The beauty of the Dharma is that everything is workable. Whatever it is that arises in our experience, we can work with it, we can understand it. So what are the things that most habitually limit us? And the first and most obvious one is that there's often a fear of physical discomfort, a fear of pain. We are very conditioned throughout our lives to avoid unpleasant feelings, unpleasant sensations. We're conditioned to avoid pain. And we become impatient or even fearful of painful feelings when they arise. And we can see how this manifests, you know, in some very clear and simple ways. Just for example, in the sitting, notice the small shifts of posture that we make. You know, we're sitting, it's not a major, it's not necessarily a major change of position, but we're just we're sitting and a small shift you know, a straightening of the back or slight shift of the legs or what is that in response to? We often do it almost unknowingly you know, or habitually. It's the reaction we have 
to a certain discomfort. We don't want to feel it, and so we move to alleviate it. Throughout the day, notice why we do different things. It's quite amazing. When we really look at our activities during the day, very many, if not most, of the things we do are to alleviate some kind of pain, some kind of discomfort. Now we get up in the morning, we need to go to the bathroom to relieve the discomfort. We're sitting at a a certain point, we need to stand up because it's too uncomfortable. We're walking, walk half an hour, an hour, two hours, at a certain point we're going to get tired walking, so then we need to sit or lie down. Lying down, you would think, oh, the perfect posture, no problem. Lying down gets uncomfortable after a while. One time I was practicing in India and so frustrated with this discomfort that kept coming up in the body, I got this really thick foam pad like a foam mattress. And I decided to do a meditation lying down, flat on my back, nothing crossed, totally supported. After, I don't know how long it was, an hour, an hour and a half, whatever, that got uncomfortable. And so I had to get up. The nature of the body is that we experience discomfort with it. But we keep moving to mask it. And there's a, there's a Dharma saying, movement masks dukkha. So just explore that a little bit. You know, as you move through different activities, pay attention to what's actually motivating it. You know, is it as a way of avoiding some kind of discomfort? And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it, but we should at least be aware you know, of the underlying uh, conditioning. We can also notice this fear of pain or discomfort just in the way we relate to it in the moment. Have you noticed very often when there's painful feelings, there's a contraction in the body. We feel it's like there's a tightening of the whole system. It's as if we're stealing ourselves in the face of it rather than simply relaxing into it and opening to it. We're enduring it. And enduring it is quite different than being mindful of it. There's also our fear of anticipated pain, which is another conditioning we have. It may be that the discomfort is not so bad in the moment. You know, we're actually okay with the sensations we're feeling, but then the mind starts thinking ahead. Oh, well, it's this way now. In half an hour, it's going to be unbearable. And we get afraid of the anticipated pain. So we want to notice you know, this fear arising in the mind and what, what is behind it. Fear can also come from our concepts about what is happening. 
Have you had some pain or discomfort, for example, you know, when you're sitting, your back starts to hurt or your knees start to hurt? And the sensations are one thing. You know, it might be a burning or a tightness or a pressure or whatever. But the mind doesn't stay at that level of just exploring the bare sensations. The mind creates a concept, my knees, my back, I'll never walk again. Where's the chiropractor? And we just, we build a story in our minds and the story feeds the fear. It's also interesting to notice how fear of discomfort, fear of unpleasantness, fear of pain, very often feeds into our desire system. So I had one striking example of this. Uh, this goes back years, and it was when I was sitting at a retreat with Mahasi Sayadaw in England, and it was just a very few, there were just about 14 or 15 yogis with him. And I was having quite a difficult time. My body was uncomfortable, my mind was restless. It was not an easy retreat. And every day at breakfast, they served exactly the same thing. Same breakfast every day. And so I would go through the line, you know, having the porridge, take two pieces of toast, piece of fruit, and tea. And I had the porridge and the food, and I realized I didn't really want the two pieces of toast. Second day, I went through the line, took my porridge, two pieces of toast, fruit, and tea. Second day, didn't really want the toast. Third day, went through the line, took my porridge, two pieces of toast, fruit. And so after about four or five days of this, Joseph, what are you doing? And I saw that what was operating was the just-in-case mind. Just in case I'm hungry, I better take the two pieces of toast. In the face of all the evidence, you know, there was that traumatic fear of not having enough. So it's a simple little thing, and yet it really, it really conditions very much how we are in the world and so clearly feeds into our desire system. Working directly with physical pain and discomfort, as you all know, you've all worked with it very often, can be a very powerful part of our practice. First of all, the mind doesn't wonder very much. You know, if if there's a pain that's the object of our meditation, it's a very good object of concentration because it's so compelling. The mind can stay right there and the samadhi actually can get quite deep. It's also useful because it does bring us to the edge of what we're comfortable with. It brings us to the edge of what we're willing to allow. And that's the place that we want to be in our practice. It's very easy to be calm and tranquil and feel peaceful when everything is going easily. But how are we when we're at that boundary of what's comfortable? 
can we have that same quality of awareness at that place as well? And so when we work with discomfort, we're practicing that. So that's kind of like a little midterm exam. Okay, how am I doing with this? Can I be mindful of this? There's tremendous insight that can come at these times. When we can relax and open into the sensations and not identify with the fear that may be arising there, we begin to have a very clear and intimate experience of anatta, of selflessness, particularly in its manifestation of the ungovernableness of phenomena. That's one of the meanings of anatta. It's usually translated as selflessness. But what it means is that things are following their own laws. They're not subject to our will. We're sitting and maybe there's a pain or discomfort. We can't simply say, let this pain go away. Let my body be free of pain and then all of a sudden it disappears. It's following its own laws. As long as the conditions are there for the pain to be there, it will be there. The conditions change, then our experience changes. And so we see very directly the ungovernableness of these elements of the mind and body. And so it's deepening our insight into anatta. Also, as you undoubtedly have realized, practicing those times when there is pain in the body, unease in the body, discomfort in the body, is a very good practice for illness, old age, the whole dying process, because most likely, probably for most people, it's not going to be comfortable. You know, when the body is shutting down or is ill, seriously ill, there will probably be quite a bit of discomfort, quite a bit of pain. How will we be with that when we're in a situation where we can simply shift position and the pain goes away? You know, where that is our experience. Will our mind be caught up in fear at that time? Or will we have trained ourselves at least to some extent to be okay with that? To be just in the experience of the unpleasantness, unpleasant sensations. It's fine. So I really see our practice now as training for that. And every time we're working with the discomfort and the fear that may arise, If we can work with it and not be caught by the fear, it becomes a powerful practice and training ground for us. Many places in the suttas and the discourses, the Buddha will have been visiting people who are sick and dying. And one of the refrains that is found in many of these discourses So where the Buddha will say, though your body is afflicted, 
can your mind remain unafflicted? You know, that's just such a clear statement of what's possible. Yeah, the body will go through its things, and at times there'll be pain, and sometimes very strong pain. The body may be afflicted. Can the mind remain unafflicted? Can the mind remain at ease? Something I've read very often and probably have heard before is just this most inspiring example of it, uh, which was the death of Henry David Thoreau. You know, when he was, he died of TB when he was 44. He had such an extraordinary understanding. So this was an account of his death. It said, Henry was never affected, never reached by his illness. Very often I have heard him tell his visitors that he enjoyed existence as well as ever. Okay, this is somebody dying of TB, and it's not an easy, not an easy illness. He remarked to me that there was as much comfort in perfect disease as in perfect health. <laughs> That's remarkable. That there is much, as much comfort in perfect disease as in perfect health the mind always conforming to the condition of the body. The thought of death, he said, could not begin to trouble him. So there's really a profound understanding there. The mind always conforming to the condition of the body. That is, the awareness is simply knowing whatever the body is experiencing. But the mind being not affected by what it's experiencing. So this is, this is a very powerful training that we can practice every time we come up against that edge, that boundary you know, of our comfort zone. So instead of pulling back from it out of fear, see if it's possible to recognize the fear and then settle. Okay, can I feel this? Can I be with this? So all of this takes practice. You know, it doesn't happen all at once and we need to start small. Can we be with these painful, unpleasant sensations even for a short while and watch our mind state? See when the fear is there, see if it's possible to relax into it and simply be with the sensations that we're feeling. And we can do this in two ways. We can focus our attention very specifically on the sensations. You know, is it burning? Is it stabbing? Is it pressure? Is it tightness? Is it throbbing? Is it pulsing? Somebody once gave me an article, and I meant to bring it tonight, but I forgot. It was from an old Good Housekeeping magazine. It was an article on like 72 different sensations of pain. (laughs) I just listed all of these different sensations. Uh, It was a great catalog of Buddhist meditation. It's very helpful if we can just drop in or feel specifically what the sensations are because then we see their changing nature. That's very different than being in the perception my leg hurts. 
in the latter, much more likely for fear to arise. In the former, we can really connect very directly with the flow of changing elements, the flow of changing experience. We can also turn our attention not primarily to the sensation, we can also turn our attention to the knowing itself so that we become mindful of that which is knowing the sensations and begin to see, as Thoreau said, that the knowing itself, the nature of knowing, is not affected by what is known. And I think this morning or yesterday I gave the example of things being reflected in a mirror. And the mirror's nature is just to reflect what comes in front of it. It's not affected by the reflection. So another example might be of this knowing, and these these are just images. You know, if you think of an open window and the breeze coming in through the window and we feel the breeze, but the openness of the open window, you say the space of openness is not affected by whatever comes through. That's just open. That's just allowing. And so the knowing quality in our mind is just like that. One of the great benefits of New England winters, there aren't many, but in terms of practice, I have found it so interesting to do walking meditation outside on a freezing, icy, windy, cold day because it is so intensely unpleasant. It's so cold. You know, when there's a strong wind, it's like it burns the face. And what I love about it, (laughs) sort of, (laughs) first, it's unavoidable. I mean, the mind is not wandering for one moment because it's so intense. The experience is right there. But it's such a fertile ground for investigating the nature of knowing. And I just watch my mind. So I'm knowing this intensity of unpleasant feeling. But the knowing is no different than if it was knowing a pleasant feeling. The knowing is exactly the same. Sometimes it's pleasant things which are known, sometimes it's unpleasant things which are known. So when we can explore in that way the very nature of awareness, and the fact that that awareness, that knowing, is not affected by what is known, there's a tremendous freedom in that, there's a tremendous equanimity that's possible. So to work skillfully with all this, it is helpful to recognize different aspects of pain or discomfort. Because some pain is a danger signal. You know, if you put your hand in fire, you don't want to just be saying, burning, burning, burning. No, the, the pain is a signal, oh, something, something's wrong here. 
I should take my hand out. So this is what uh, the Dalai Lama called wholesome fear, right? which is really another word for wisdom. Right? It, it's a kind of fear, not the fear of aversion, but just the fear of understanding this is a harmful situation. This is a dangerous situation. It's like you go to the ocean and you see a sign, dangerous undertow. So then there's a wholesome fear or an understanding this this is a dangerous place to go into. So we want to recognize when pain is a danger signal. And in practice, the feedback that I have found most useful for myself, you know, you're sitting and maybe the knees are hurting a lot, maybe the back is hurting a lot. You're sitting and you're being with it and you're exploring that edge, that boundary, you know, and settling in. If the pain goes away, you know, within a few minutes after you get up, no matter how intense it was, I have found that it has always been fine. You know, I haven't been doing any particular damage to the body. On the other hand, if you're sitting, and especially in an intensive retreat like this, and there's very strong pain, and you're working with it, and you get up and the pain is persisting, and then you're sitting again and it's getting worse, and you get up and it's still persisting, and you feel it building, that is an indication that you may be straining in that posture, and it would be good to ease off. So you need to really learn how to read your body. Read when pain is a danger signal and when it's not. Very often, the pain we experience in the body is the release of accumulated tensions. Now, through our lives and in coming here, We've all accumulated a huge amount of tension that we carry. Come to a place like this where there's no distraction, we're practicing just as continuous a mindfulness as possible, so we get in touch with the tension that we're carrying around, and the space of awareness allows for the unwinding of it. And just that reframe in our minds of what these uncomfortable sensations are can change our attitude towards it. When I'm sitting and I'm feeling discomfort or pain and I understand, yes, this is, this is the releasing of a lot of tension that I'm holding, it makes it much easier to create the space around it, to be allowing for it. There's one subtle caution here very helpful to understand that the practice is an unwinding of tension. And at the same time, even as we're experiencing that, we don't want to fall into the trap of practicing in order for it to unwind. Because that's creating a project mentality. Okay, I'll be with this so that it will unwind so that it will release. Because then we're just bringing into our awareness the greed factor. So it's a very subtle balance of understanding that that's the process and still simply being 
with the moment's experience as it's presenting itself. It's avoiding what I call in order to mind. Watching something in order for something else to happen. Because that's just another kind of grasping. So all of these are just different ways of working with this very common phenomena of physical discomfort, physical pain. If we pay attention to how we're relating to it, whether through fear and contraction, whether through understanding and openness, it really will show us a lot about how we relate to other unpleasant situations in our lives. You know, whether it's work-related or interpersonal relationships, how do we relate? How do we work with things that are unpleasant, that are painful? So this is really a great laboratory for deconditioning the response of fear. And mindfulness doesn't mean also, especially in the context of our life in the world, that we simply adopt a passive acceptance of whatever is happening. Mindfulness means that we take the appropriate response. And that appropriate response can happen if we're not being driven by fear of the situation, but rather in the awareness of what's actually happening, we see what the appropriate action is. And one of my favorite stories of this, the story of uh, Kamala and my first teacher, Munindraji, who was very, very quirky. He wasn't one's image of, you know, this great guru. He was this little guy dressed in white, kind of running around <laughs> with insatiable curiosity about everything, but very present, very embodied. He was, was a great teacher in many ways. So we had a friend who had been in Calcutta and coming back to Bodh Gaya, where Munindraji was. And this friend was in a rickshaw going to the train station. She, she was with a friend. And on the way to the train station, just some guy on you know, a back street started to pull her out of the rickshaw. So it was a very, it was a frightening situation. And then they managed to kind of push this guy away and you know, they got to the train station, got back to Bodh Gaya. So my friend is telling Munindraji this whole story. You know, and it was a fearful situation and this is what happened. And he just listened with a lot of concern and he said, oh dear, with all the loving kindness in your heart, you should have taken your umbrella and hit that man over the head. <laughs> so sometimes that's what's needed. <laughs> However, people often forget with all the loving kindness in your heart that part of it. It's like sometimes we need to take strong action, an appropriate action, 
But really, what is going on? Is it out of fear? Is it out of anger? Is it out of hatred? Is it, with all the loving kindness in our heart, creating a boundary? So there's a lot to pay attention to in our actions in the world. Okay, so this fear of pain, fear of discomfort, very common, you know, when we reach a boundary, when we reach an edge. We want to work with that. Fear can also arise when we have certain memories or images coming to the mind. It might be of specific events that have happened in the past. Or sometimes, especially in meditation, there can be archetypal images just deep archetypes in the mind of certain emotions of anger or rage, you know, and they can come sometimes as very uh, frightening images. Maybe, maybe the archetype of cruelty. And when these happen, either either these kind of deep archetypal images or memories of actual events that have happened in our lives, if they're frightening very often the tendency is to pull back out of fear. So our practice then is to really see them for what they are. All that's really happening is that there are empty images arising in the mind. They have no actual power other than the power of our association as a phenomena in themselves, they are simply an image appearing. We need to practice with this so that we're not seduced into a habitual reaction. Munindraji, again, being who he was, he had a rather unusual way for himself of practicing. When he visited us here in America, he used to say, you know, we had, in those days it was a VCR, you know, and the videos, he said, get me the worst horror movies you can. I just want to test my mind. (laughs) I just want to see this and see if my mind really remembers that it's just a movie. That's all it is. And so, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and just the the things I would never watch in a million years. And he just loved having all of these. But I never saw him react, you know, out of fear or horror. It's just a movie. Whatever the images are, that's all it is. So I'm not suggesting you actually do that as a practice, but Although, you you might. Not here. (laughs) But if unpleasant images or memories come up in the mind that are frightening in one way or another, can we remember that? It's just an image. It's just a thought. But sometimes the associations with these images or thoughts run quite deep. And particularly when there's past trauma. You know, and so then as memories come, there's often an immediate association 
that brings forth very powerful emotions. And it's hard to see it just as an image, just as a thought. And so in those situations, when it gets very powerful, you need to proceed gently and slowly. And so maybe it's just, you know, for a few moments at a time at first, just opening, seeing if we can see it in that way, and then coming back to a more neutral space. So we really titrate, you know, the, the amount that we're opening to at any one time. But having worked with many people, you know, over the years who have gone through experiences like that, it is quite amazing how over time the mind deconditions the fear or the other emotions associated with these images. And the mind really can become free of those reactions. We sometimes have fear of different emotions, even when they're not particularly traumatic. You know, we might call it the shadow side of our emotional life. It's just certain emotions that for one reason or another we don't accept, we don't allow. There's some fear of experiencing them for one reason or another. You know, they're either unrecognized or they're unacceptable to us. It might be feelings of unworthiness, you know, or jealousy, or abandonment, or feelings of shame, or feelings of failure, feelings of embarrassment. They're just feelings we don't like to feel. And when they come up, there can be a reaction of fear, of pulling back, of closing off to them. I had a very striking example of this. Because there are many, and we've all, I think we've all had experiences like this. But it was about 20 years ago when I had been living at the center, the retreat center, for many years, for 13 years, just living in the center. And then when I turned 40, it was like, okay, enough of communal living. <laughs> I just, let me have some space. <laughs> so by some miracle, this very wonderful being offered the finances to build a house. You know, because I didn't have anything. So it was like a miracle. It was just, you know, this amazing, amazing gift. And so built this really uh, wonderful house, beautiful house. And it it really was a couple of year obsession in terms of designing and all that. Finally move in. And I started, first moved in, I thought I'll do a month retreat. It's, you know, it was my... Beginning of living there. For a good part of that month, my mind was plagued. It was tormented by these thoughts. Oh, this place is too nice. Dharma teachers shouldn't be living in a house like this. I'm going to give this house to the staff. I'm going to live on a hut in the woods. <laughs> you know, just my mind was going on and on and on. It, it was almost unbearable living in it. But then I got really, what is going on here? <laughs> you know, it really piqued my interest. In what's going on in my mind? 
And finally, I saw what my emotion, the emotion that I didn't want to accept or allow, I was embarrassed. I was just embarrassed by it. When I finally saw that that's what the feeling was, because I hadn't recognized it, I knew that there was some kind of struggle going on, but as soon as I could see it, oh, embarrassment, it became a lot easier to accept the embarrassment than to move out of the house. (laughs) It was no problem at all. Oh, embarrassed, okay. It didn't, the embarrassment didn't last very long once I saw it and I've kind of enjoyed it now for many years. But it was such a, it was such an interesting example of how emotions that are unacknowledged, unpleasant emotions that are unacknowledged, that we just don't allow in, can drive us to all other kinds of emotions and actions. So again, we we need to pay attention to those times when we're getting some signal, which is usually some suffering of one kind or another, that we're not letting something in, that there's a fear of feeling something. And then stepping back, okay, can I open to this? Carl Jung had, he really captured this understanding. He said, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. The latter procedure, however, is disagreeable and therefore not popular. It is disagreeable, it's not comfortable, but it's ultimately so freeing. And that's really what we're practicing here. It's interesting just to see in our own lives and in our culture how much of what we do is driven by fear of certain mind states or emotions just as a society, how much of what is created is created out of fear of boredom. You know, (laughs) the whole proliferation of entertainment possibilities. You know, we're afraid of being bored and so we distract ourselves endlessly. Or what do we do because we're afraid of being lonely? You know, does it drive us into relationships that, for one reason or another, may not be healthy? And just like the embarrassment, it's actually much easier just to settle back. Oh, there's the feeling of boredom, there's the feeling of loneliness. Whatever it may be, it's okay. Because, like everything else, it's just another arising and passing state. One thing to make clear is that the practice is not a searching out of these emotions. And it's not that if the practice, that the practice is not going well unless we're having some great emotional catharsis. It's simply that when they arise in the natural course of our practice in our lives, that's when we want to open to them. 
there's nothing we have to look for, nothing we have to seek, but we want to be aware of when we come to that edge, that boundary of what we're comfortable with, whether it's in the body, in the mind, in our emotions, and realize that that edge, that boundary, is a very skillful place to be. That's a place where a lot of good work can be done in seeing fear and in learning to relax the fear and open to whatever it is. So there's fear of pain or discomfort, there's fear of certain images or thoughts or memories, there's fear of certain emotions that may come. There's also fear of impermanence, of change, of loss, of death. This is a very deeply conditioned fear in many people. We hold on to this mind and body, or different aspects of the mind and body, as being self, as being permanent. And we become attached in one way or another, and then there's a fear of losing. There's a fear of loss. Now, one teaching that has repeated, been repeated so often, but just goes so deep, that whatever has the nature to arise will pass away. Can we let that in about every aspect of our experience? Our experience of the mind and body, our experience of the world. Whatever has the nature to arise will pass away. but we keep looking for security in permanence. Let my body stay a certain way. Let my relationships stay a certain way. Let my mind be peaceful all the time. And of course, it's just not like that. That's not the Dharma. So we have to realign ourselves with what is actually true in terms of finding a place of peace and security. Because it's not in trying to hold on to that which in its very nature will change. And one of the most striking elements to me of the Buddha's discovery and exposition of the law of dependent origination which is one of the most profound aspects of his teaching. He started with the very simple question, what is the cause of death? Just that basic question, what's the cause of death? And as he kind of examined that, what conditions death, he saw the most obvious but usually overlooked and ignored understanding that the cause of death is birth. If there's birth, there will be death. So this is, it's so simple, you know, it it seems almost not worth saying. And yet we don't really take it in. 
that everything which has the nature to be born, everything which has the nature to arise, by the very fact of its being born, will also die. So if we could really understand that, if we really integrated that wisdom in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, there would be no fear of death. It's just, this is nature, this is just how things are. But because we know it on some level, of course, we know it intellectually, we know it conceptually, and to some extent, maybe experientially, but we need to ripen, we need to mature that understanding. <laughs> I find it I find it just this powerful jolt when I think what's the cause of death? Birth. <laughs> you know, it's just I don't know. To my mind, it just nails it. <laughs> you know, and then to explore all of the implications of that, which are huge. So sometimes, I mean, very often there there is this fear of change, of loss, of death, but sometimes there's also a fear of things not changing. You know, have you ever been in this an experience where? We're in some unpleasant mind state. Oh my God, this is going to last forever. Or we have some sense of ourselves, particularly, you know, maybe some aspects of our personality we don't like. Oh, this is how it will be forever. Nothing, this will never change. The whole universe changes, but not this. And so we get caught in that way. So the question then is, with all of these fears, fear of pain and discomfort, fear of memories of certain thoughts, of traumatic images, of different emotions, fear of change, fear of death. So these are the fears, the common fears that arise for almost all of us. How do we work with the fear when it arises? So just a few simple suggestions, which are reminders of things you already know. First, it's to recognize the fear. So we really see it and we can become mindful of it. The fear itself becomes the object of meditation. But one thing to stay very attuned to is that recognition of fear does not necessarily mean acceptance of it. We can recognize it and even note it, fear, fear, fear. That doesn't necessarily imply that we are accepting of it. You know, we can be with it, we can be tolerating it, and still all the time wanting it to go away. If there's a wanting it to go away, if there's aversion to it, it actually strengthens it. It locks it in. And so we really need to pay attention to our attitude towards the fear. When I was working with this emotion in a very intense way, it was only when I could come to the place of saying to myself and meaning it, if this fear is here for the rest of my life, it's okay. That was the first time after many weeks of being with it, 
that I truly accepted it. And so we need to pay attention not only to the recognition that it's there, but to whether we are actually opening to it, accepting it, or we're still trying to keep it away. There's a lot more to say, and maybe tomorrow morning I'll just say a few more things about working with it. But I do want to just read something the Dalai Lama said about working with fear, because as usual, it's just such a simple and powerful teaching that requires practice, but is worth doing. Somebody asked him, how can we work with deep fears? So he said, if you have some fear of pain or suffering, you should examine whether there is anything you can do about it. If you can, there is no need to worry about it. If you cannot do anything, then there is also no need to worry. So on that note, (laughs) it's really taking a very realistic look at the feeling, at the emotion, and at what response is possible, and then resting in a state of ease. Let's sit for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.